this. If you would like to turn to Matthew chapter 1, we're going to read just a snippet, and then we're going to jump over to the Psalms. It says this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says this. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love that this is spoken in a time where God was only with them in a temple. Have you ever thought about that? At this time, Jesus had not died. The Holy Spirit had not come. So when, when he was speaking, when the angel was speaking to Mary, when he was speaking over the whole nation of Israel, he says, I'm going to call my child Emmanuel, which means God with us. And for them, they had only had experiences with God. They had only seen God or felt God or heard him in a temple that they had built, that they had constructed, that the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God, would live in. And so it was not like you and I have today, where we can open our Bible and just read something and it speaks to our hearts. It was very much a pilgrimage every single time that they would go to the temple or to the tabernacle. So God is proclaiming over everyone, God with us. I don't know about you, but when we read scripture, it's really funny because we can often experience God on these mountaintop moments. We experience the goodness of God. We experience his favor. We experience his blessing, but we get to know him in the valley. Now, Thanksgiving was just this week, so I'm sure this is going to happen. When you have a festive party, when you're with friends, when you're with family, it's exciting. Everyone is so much funnier when you have a giant turkey and some cranberry sauce. I don't know why. Everyone, it's just full of laughter. There's so much happening, right? I don't know about you, but I'm like, we're so funny when we all get together, and it's this very festive time. But in the other 11 months out of the year, I'm like, y'all are a pain in my neck. Like, I don't understand why I actually joked with our worship team, and I'm just going to say it. I actually joked that I was going to start the service by saying, let's all have a moment of silence, because I haven't had one in a week. <laughs> because family, and my family knows they're in the front row, family is extremely, it's beautiful. Friendships are extremely beautiful. And in that party season, and in that mountaintop season, it's so special to us. But when we walk through the valley, that's when we get to know people. When we walk through the valley and things start bubbling up inside of us, when doubts creep in, when fear creeps in, with our lack of strength, when our tired, exhausted state because your child was up half the night, super sick, praise the Lord. When that comes out, then this valley, this new season appears. And instead of kicking the dirt and being so frustrated because we're not living on the mountaintop, which we were never intended to live on, instead of kicking the dirt... God says, this is where you get to know me. This is where I come down and I am with you. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us on the mountaintop, but God with us as we journey. So we're going to look at something in scripture, which I am so excited about because it's a song. It's literally just, it's a song. It's a song about pilgrimage. It's a song about journeying to the tabernacle, to the temple. So we could find this in Psalms 84. So if you would like to turn over, it's written by what it says is the son of Korah, or the sons of Korah. And Korah essentially is a group of men, possibly women, I don't know. <laughs> Never mind, I'm just going to leave that. <laughs> women in the Bible. Um, it is a group of people who have wrote a song. The sons of Korah were a part of the choir. 
in the tabernacle. So essentially they didn't live in the temple, but they sang in the choir. And so they are writing a song about what it is to journey to the temple and experience God. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God, the living God that they experience through miracles and through a temple, not daily. So beautiful. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising Selah is like a big breath, like a a moment of reflection of just God's goodness of like, wow, how incredible the temple is. How incredible that we get to dwell there. How incredible that we get to experience you in this place. And then it says this, blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca, Baca, who knows. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. I want to stop there because there's actually so much in those three verses there that I would like to unpack. This is a song written by men who are used to being in the temple. And it says this in verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Why is this important? Because they had to journey to get to the temple. They had a journey to get to God. Their hearts are set on pilgrimage because where they are is not where God is. So if we think about this in our own journeys, in our own experiences of life, where I am sometimes, even though the Holy Spirit is with us and God is with us, sometimes it feels like a pilgrimage. Is anyone with me on that? Sometimes it feels like I got to pack my bag because I'm about to go on a good old gospel trip. Like It's like we're about to do this thing, and it feels heavy. It feels burdensome. It feels like a lot of time. Back in those days, they would actually take three times a year during the feast that they would pilgrim back to Jerusalem. And this was not just like a quick, like, let me jump in the car and I'm going to go to Jerusalem and let me jump in the car and we're going to come back. This was actually, it took months of preparation for them to be able to do this. They had to spend weeks traveling to and from. So it took away from their families, from their jobs. The wealthy were the only ones able to even do it. And they had to do it three times a year in order to celebrate what God had done. Think of the commitment because sometimes when it's raining, I just want to lay in my bed. I'm like, really, Lord, on a Sunday when it's perfect for like a fire and I don't know, a holiday Christmas movie. I'm just saying Hallmark is the best. Um, I know know Rich would also agree with no on that. Um, But I love this because it talks about this pilgrimage. It's a journey. It's not easy. It's kind of full of actually a lot of um, rocky and dry places. So I want us to think about that for a moment. Think of our own rocky, dry place, whether it's boredom, whether you're not excited, the mountaintop has passed, you are not excited about your job, you're not excited about your marriage, you're not excited about your children, sweet Jesus. You are not excited anymore, so your dry and rocky place can just be mundane. It can be, uh, this is exhausting, this is, I can't believe it's this much work. I am so bored at my job, or I'm so bored, nothing is... Nothing is fulfilling anymore. That's a valley. What also is a valley? Mourning. You know, it's the holidays. You're sitting around a table and someone's not there. That's a valley. A valley of pain. A valley, a journey that you have to go on, that you have to walk. That's a valley. Stress is a valley. Um, disease, sickness in your body, that's a, that's a valley. 
Think of all of the valleys that we go through. And yet in scriptures, it promises us. It says when God sent his son, he said, I'm going to name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because you are not doing this alone. Because God is with us, but he's both with us and for us. It says in this, it says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Verse 5. So if we're going to sum this all up in three points today, I would like us to remember that very first thing. For us to be able to prepare our hearts and our minds and our bodies for this pilgrimage that we would have to walk through, this life that we have to endure, seek his strength. Seek his strength. I love in the New Testament, it says that in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. In my weakness, it doesn't say when I've gotten all of the strength that I have, when I've built myself up the most, then God comes in and he finishes the job. No, it doesn't say that. It actually says in my weakness, when I'm at the lowest part that I could possibly go, when I've made an utter mess of things, that is when his strength is made perfect. That is when he comes in and says, I knew you were weak all along. It didn't just because you're in the valley and now you feel weak doesn't mean that you weren't also weak on the mountaintop. You were weak there too. You just didn't feel, you didn't experience it like you have in the valley. We're weak all along, friends. In our weakness, that's when God comes in with his strength. So the better we can understand our need of him, our need of looking to him as our absolute all in all, that is when we have strength. And that is where our strength comes from after all. Not in our own will, even though the will is strong with this one. I'm just going to say it. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. It says, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. I love this. They fixed their eyes. When they set off for this pilgrimage three times a year, they thought at the end of this journey, I get to have a party. Like, how great is that? Like, I'm going to set off for a couple of weeks where I'm walking. First of all, there's no cars walking. And they have fixed their eyes. They've set their eyes on pilgrimage. It doesn't say for the party. It says for their journey. They have fixed their eyes. I love this because sometimes we fix our eyes on what God is going to do in our situation. I have fixed my eyes on the healing. I have fixed my eyes on God to come through financially. I have fixed my eyes on the miracle that's going to happen in my life. And it says this. They fixed their eyes. They set their eyes on pilgrimage, on the journey. That's really humbling for me because I sometimes can fix my eyes on the hope. It says in scriptures that Jesus, for us, endured the cross. It says that he fixed his eyes or his mind on us and endured the cross. I love that because I think sometimes we have to look at what's ahead. We have to put out our hope at what's ahead for us to be able to endure. But sometimes we get so set in enduring the valley that we hate the valley, that we get bitter at the valley, that we're so mad at God because he brought us to a valley. Maybe it's me. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. It could be me. Sometimes we get so set on what God should do or will do, even in hope and in faith, that we despise where we're at. And friends, they fixed their eyes, they set their eyes on the pilgrimage. They prepared for it. This is what maybe we can do better. And I say we as very personally and intentionally because we, me, I can do this better. I need to prepare myself for the pilgrimage, not the mountaintop. I need to be excited about the mountaintop and praise God and give him glory in the mountaintop. But I need to prepare my heart for the valley. 
for God having to wake me up out of bed and give strength to my bones to be able to go to and from a job. That I left. Thank you, Jesus. But for the valley, for the pilgrimage, for the tears, for the pain, for the relatives who are super well-meaning and say things that you want to punch them in the face for. I mean, maybe just me. That's fine. It's fine. Pray for your pastor and just all of us. This is what we set our eyes on. We fix your eyes. What are you fixing your eyes on? Before we move on to the very last point, which I think is really impactful for us, God was just speaking to me this morning as I was praying because he said so often we get lost in the valley that we forget where we're fixing our eyes. It's not even on the journey. We've lost our hope. Friends, I feel like so many of us have lost our hope our hope for our situation to get better, our hope for our God to be a good God, our hope for things to turn around in our favor, our hope, you've lost your hope. And you're so fixed on your journey, but not in a hopeful way. You're so fixed on the circumstances of your journey that you cannot enjoy what you're moving to. You're stuck there. And we know that the Israelites were stuck for 40 years, so God help us if we're stuck for 40 years. God, help us if we're stuck for four years. Friends, where is your hope? I would love with my whole heart if you went home today and you sat down with a piece of paper and you wrote down what the end of your valley looks like. Because so many of us can get stuck in our job, our family, our circumstance, our financials, our illnesses, that we forget the hope that is set before us right? For the hope set before us. For one, it's heaven. Thank God. Thank God for heaven. That is the hope that is set before us. But what, what, what else? What are you believing God for? In scriptures, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because sometimes I think we forget that our faith can move mountains. Our faith can do incredible things, not in our own strength in God's. Our faith, what are you hoping for? What have you put your hope in? It says to keep your eyes to the heavens. That's where our help comes from. Sometimes I think we're looking at our own feet too much, and we forget that God is a good God. Verse 6. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. This is a really beautiful imagery, and I want to draw our attention to this. It says this. As they pass through, through... They don't pitch a tent in. They're passing through the Valley of Becca. The Valley of Becca is actually a valley of balsam trees, which can be um, visually kind of tricky on the eye because they actually, their sap looks like tears. Literally, the trees look like they're crying, essentially. So this valley has also been named the Valley of Mourning, the Valley of Tears, the Valley of Weeping. And the only way for the northerners to get to Jerusalem is through this valley, this dry place where the trees are literally crying. Like, no one wants to be there. Not even the trees want to be in this valley, okay? And yet this is the way three times a year that they have to travel. They have to go through to get to the Lord, which is so fun to me because I'm like, oh, that sounds delightful. Let's set our eyes on that pilgrimage. It says they make it a place of springs. This dry place, how do you make a dry place a place of springs? It's this third thing that we must do. We must dig a well. 
dig a well. They make it a place of springs and autumn rains also cover it with pools. I want us to imagine this in our brains. That sounds really weird, but go with me. Imagine a dry valley, a dry place where the trees look like they're crying. Everyone's exhausted. They're trying to get to this place that feels like it's forever away, and yet they have to go through it. You're in the utter parts of your body breaking down, your feet being tired, your children complaining, right? We all have been on that long car ride. Sweet Jesus. You're in this place, and there's no rain to be seen, so you're carrying it with you. And when you run out, what then? I love it because it literally says that they make it a place of springs because the autumn rains also cover it with pools. What they would actually do in this valley is they would dig holes in the ground like a well. And then they would wait for the autumn rains to come and fill the well. So while they wouldn't have natural springs, there's no bodies of water here. While they wouldn't have anything to drink from, their hopeful expectation is, I'm going to dig a place in this dry ground, God, because you are going to fill it. Because I don't know about my situation. It may not turn around. And this mountain isn't going to move. And this is the only way to get there. But I am going to stand my ground in this place and have such an expectation and a hope that I'm going to dig down deep and wait. I'm going to wait next to my empty hole for you to send the rain to fill this. I love this so much because it, it literally is not just for them. This pit, this pool, this well that they have dug in expectation of what God will do is going to help hundreds that go behind them. The well that they dig, the pool that they dig is going to hold water that their grandchildren are going to be able to walk by one day when they go to Jerusalem. Our pits are hard places, the places that we pause with such expectation in our journey before we ever see it come to pass is going to help our families, our children, our children's children, our friends. It's not just for us. If we can dig down deep with sometimes nothing changing and dig a hole. <laughs> Don't go home and dig a hole unless you're going to put a plant in it. And dig a hole for all this rain. Now you laugh. <laughs> if we can dig a hole and have the Lord literally send the rain to fill it. I love this. In Job, it literally talks about, you know, when they're going back and forth and, and Job is talking to God like, what in the world is happening? I've tried to keep the faith. These terrible friends are coming in talking to me about your goodness and your character. And they have no idea, by the way, because they're telling, saying terrible things about Job and him and the Lord. And God speaks to him and he says, don't I reign on the desert places where no one lives? You know what I love about this is he never intended for the desert to be the place that we live, ever. He never intended the desert, the dry place, the lonely place, the deserted place to be the place that we pitch our tent and we say, here it is, the promised land. No, we get stuck there because we complain and we murmur and we get our eyes so fixed on the dirty ground or other people that we get stuck there. But it was never his intention for us to live there. But God in his goodness said, I will still reign there though. I will still send my clouds and my rain for when you are there, when you are in the desert, I won't abandon you in that place either. I will be there. I will provide for you there. How many times in their journey did he provide for them in the oddest of ways? Manna from heaven. I've seen snowflakes, but 
like cloudy with a chance of meatballs, literal food from heaven. Like I have, my children have prayed for that after that movie. Like they were like, can this happen? And then you teach on it in the Bible and then they're really like hopeful and faith. I'm full of faith. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know about all this. God literally provided in the, the most absurd, miraculous ways. Because he said, even though I didn't intend for you to live in the desert, I will provide for you there. I will be with you there. I will never abandon you. It says that he will never leave us or forsake us. I love that. Because it feels sometimes like he has left us and forsook us in our valley. Sometimes we are so fixed on our trouble, we forget to dig a well. We forget to be still. I love this one commentator said that it is hard to experience God when you're rushed because Moses would never have seen the burning bush if he had not first taken off his sandals and stayed there a minute. In your valley, in your journey, whatever that is, mundane, hardship, inner turmoil, whatever it is, I encourage you, sit there a minute. Dig a well, increase your faith and your hope, and sit there. Just see what the Lord will do. Will he not? Will he not provide? Will he not provide the peace and the joy that you need? Will he not provide? I'd like to end with this. It says, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. A lot of people believe this to be because they're so encouraged because they're getting closer and closer and they know it because remember, they go three times a year, so it's familiar to them. The path is familiar. They've been here before. So as they get closer and closer, they could see more and more familiar things and that's exciting to them so their strength is building, which is great because if we think of this in our own lives, how many times have we been in a valley before? We've done this before. We've been in hard seasons. It might not look the same, but we've been in a valley before. So as we see God do more and more in our lives, does it not increase our hope and our strength? But I love what somebody was saying when they were studying out the scriptures. They literally said this, that as they got closer and closer, those that saw them coming would literally come out from their homes and their caves and join them. So as they got closer and closer to Jerusalem, their numbers grew more and more. And as they had more and more numbers, their strength increased. How incredible is this? This is the church. This is community. This is why it's so important because in our lonely places of pilgrimage, as we set out on the journey, God brings people and he brings people. Slowly but surely, we look around and we're not alone anymore. Slowly but surely, we look around and we see the multitude of people that are on the same pilgrimage to God, that have the same expectation and the same hope. Nothing has changed for them yet. They're not there yet but they're not alone. It says they increased in strength. I love that picture because that's the body of Christ. It is not murmuring and complaining like the Exodus. Lord, help us. Don't give us those people. (laughs) I don't want those people in my life. They are full of hope and expectation for where they're going. Even the Israelites were promised a promised land. They had an incredible thing to fix their eyes on, and yet they complain the whole time. God help us that when we're given a promised land, that we are grumbling and complaining in the midst of it. Of course we go through a valley to get there. Of course we do. Of course turmoil happens, of course. 
I would like to end, and forgive me as I read off my phone, our printer is down. I would like to end with another song that was written. Another journey from another person. This one not from old text, not from our historical background of faith. This one from much more recent years. I mean, I say that it was 1871, so you know, somewhat recent years. Um, It's a hymn. And I would like to give the story first. It says this. This hymn was written after traumatic events in this author's life. The first two were the death of his two-year-old son and the great Chicago fire of 1871, which ruined him financially. He had been a successful lawyer and had invested significantly in property in the area of Chicago that was extensively damaged by the great fire. His business interests were further hit by the economic downturn of 1873, at which time he had planned to travel to Europe with his family on the SS Ville du Hall. It's fancy. I don't know, know how to spell it, actually. In a late change of plan, he sent the family ahead while he was delayed on business concerning zoning problems following the Great Chicago Fire. While crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship sank rapidly after a collision with a sea vessel. And all four of Spaffer's daughters died. His wife, Anna, survived and sent him the now famous telegram. Saved alone. Shortly afterwards, as Spaffer traveled to meet his grieving wife, he was inspired to write these words as his ship passed near where his daughters had died. Bliss called his tune the Ville du Har, but we know it more as it is well. The original lyrics are this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot that has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet through, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine. For in death, as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the face shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend, a song in the night, O my soul. Friends, this incredible hymn is the most famous one. It was written at the darkest time of this man's life, who's financially ruined who's lost a young son and four daughters. He's journeying to see his grieving wife who was alone herself and past the exact point in the Atlantic Ocean where his devastation was reality. And instead of being so upset, which he was justified to be, instead of being so full of anger and bitterness at God for his character, for being not good, which we would understand as well, Instead, he looks out at this great ocean 
and he reminds his soul to fix his eyes. He reminds his soul to find his strength in God alone. He reminds his soul that this is not the end. When his faith becomes sight, his hope is so renewed that he knows that whatever pain he's enduring at that moment is nothing compared to when God comes down and he can see with his own eyes. We experience God on the mountaintop, but we get to know him in the valley. My prayer for us is that instead of being so consumed with our bitterness in the valley or complaining in the valley or our exhaustion in the valley, that we would instead pray that God would teach us about his character in the valley, that instead he would fix our eyes on the hope in the valley, that he would increase our faith in the valley. That last line, they actually changed for more contemporary versions, but I love it. A song in the night, oh my soul. Friends, it's time to sing a song. It's time to dig our well and have such hope and faith in God and sing with expectation in the dark night. It's time. Let's pray.